0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. We have recently moved our Sunday services and midweek connect groups online to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Join us for Church at Home this Sunday by logging on to christchurchlondon.online.church at 10am, 11am, 5pm, 7pm or 8pm for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Hi, everyone. Happy Easter to you. And from wherever you are watching this, it is really great to have you with us more than at any point in living memory. It feels like we need to remember right now the significance of Easter Sunday. And so we want to spend a day looking at the importance of the resurrection in the passage we just had read to us. We told it's the third resurrection appearance of Jesus and in it, the disciple Peter is not in a very good place. Only twice in the whole of John's gospel do we read about a charcoal fire, here and in John chapter 18, three chapters earlier. That's where Peter denies Jesus three times. In the ancient world, cowardice was seen as probably the greatest moral failure of all. Research suggests the sense of smell can trigger memory more than any other sense, and I imagine in this moment Peter is only too acutely aware of how badly he's let Jesus down. And this is just the latest in a long line of mistakes that he has made. Peter had to be publicly corrected by Jesus at the Last Supper. He boldly declared he'd never desert Jesus and then he did. He rashly cut off someone's ear and then Jesus had to undo that. That's not what Jesus and his kingdom is all about. And a little while before that, Jesus had to rebuke him, calling him Satan. Get behind me, Satan, because Peter so completely misunderstood the significance of Jesus laying his life down. I mean, just imagine for a moment, you're an online connect group later on this week, and you're studying the Bible with a few other people, and you come out with what you think is a really profound and insightful point. You're like, I'm on fire here. Imagine then the Bible study leader calls everyone together and says, yeah, I think that was Satan talking right then. How would we feel? Would we wanna go back to the group? I imagine Peter feels some of that in this moment, embarrassed, ashamed, certainly guilty, More than that, he's most likely deeply disappointed with how life has worked out. Peter hoped he'd be at the right-hand side of Jesus, ushering in his revolutionary new kingdom. Here, it's not the first time he's met Jesus post the resurrection. He knows Jesus is alive, and yet he's gone back to his old job. He's fishing again. Maybe he's thinking, what would Jesus resurrected from the dead want with someone like me? Maybe he's disillusioned and disappointed with God. Maybe life hasn't worked out the way he wanted or hoped. And here in John 21, this broken and disappointed man ends up meeting Jesus. What's Jesus going to say? What's he going to do? The thing I love about Jesus here is before he gets to anything else, before he touches on any of the deep stuff, he just wants to have breakfast. He wants to eat together. He wants to talk. Jesus doesn't want penance or punishment. He wants friendship. This is the amazing thing about Easter. God is not dead. Jesus is alive. And I can have a relationship with a living God now. I can know him. At the start of the last Alpha course we did, at the beginning of the term, just God, Alpha, a brilliant way to explore the Christian faith. Somebody on the course asked me a question. They said, Andy, what would you say if over the course of this term, I come up with a compelling piece of evidence against the Christian faith? All you do Here's part of my answer I said well of course it's important we look at the evidence and I think there's also some great evidence behind the resurrection behind the Christian faith but it's also important we remember that all of our faith is based both on evidence but also on experience my experience of a loving God knowing his presence with me today and once all the philosophical arguments have come and gone. You can't take that away from me. Same for millions of people around the world who all testify to the fact that Jesus is alive and we can know his presence with us now. This is the great news of Easter. Jesus wants to have breakfast with us. But here in John chapter 21, Jesus doesn't want to settle for shallow relationship. And as Jesus and Peter talk, Jesus eventually gets to the question, Peter, do you love me? The fact he asks this three times obviously means he's referring to the three times Peter denied Jesus. He's going back to Peter's failure. He's letting him know, I know all about this. So rather than sweeping your failure under the carpet, let's talk about it so we can move on from it. And the passage tells us this is deeply painful for Peter. Why would Jesus do this? Well, let me try and give an illustration here. In America, in the plains of Kansas, it's one of the only places on earth that cows and buffaloes live in close proximity to each other. And zoologists have observed a really interesting difference in the way that these two creatures respond to storms when they roll in from the rockies. And storms can be really bad there. Cows do what instinctively comes to all of us. When they see the storm coming, they run in the opposite direction. Problem with cows is they don't run very fast. So the storm quickly catches up with them. And because they're running in the same direction, they stay in the storm for the maximum possible time and emerge all the more miserable as a result. Buffaloes, totally different. When they seen the storm coming, they run directly for it. Now they hit the storm sooner than the cows do. But because they're running in the opposite direction, they come out quickly the other side and they stay in the storm for the minimum possible time. Here's the point of the illustration. The message of Easter is that resurrection life and power is freely available today for anyone who wants it, but it is only found the other side of the cross, the other side of the storm. You only get to Easter Sunday when you've been through Good Friday. The life-changing power of Jesus is found the other side of the storm. Jesus on Good Friday at the cross He runs right at the storm. He didn't run away from pain and sickness and suffering and death. He ran for it head on. He endured the worst that anyone could throw at him. And as he runs to the storm, he emerges alive and victorious the other side. But here's the interesting thing. He now invites his followers to embark on the very same journey. The resurrection life that Jesus offers is found the other side of laying myself down. Perhaps I can put it like this, just like Peter, my life is deeply broken and flawed. In fact, over the last two to three weeks of being stuck inside, it's revealed even more fear and insecurity, selfishness and impatience than I knew was there already. And just like with Peter, facing up to all of that is deeply uncomfortable. We're told Peter is deeply grieved as Jesus touches on this stuff, and I can feel the same, exposed and vulnerable, disappointed in myself and in life. But just like with Peter, as I bring my inner storm to Jesus, yes, it's painful, but I end up finding acceptance, love, forgiveness, peace, joy and the empowering presence of God the other side of the storm. Jesus is alive and he really wants to have breakfast with us, but he doesn't want to settle for shallow, small talk. He wants to talk about our pain and brokenness, the storm within, but he wants to set us free from it. Am I prepared to bring my inner storm to Jesus, to bring those things I'd rather keep in darkness out into the light? The steps course coming up in a week and a half time is a really brilliant and practical way to let Jesus deal with that inner storm. Full disclaimer though, it can be deeply uncomfortable admitting that we don't have it all together but I promise you we really can find freedom the other side. You can still sign up now. Resurrection life from Jesus Christ is found the other side of the cross. But Jesus wants to restore more than simply personal relationship with him. He also wants to restore the future. Not only does Jesus here recreate the scene of Peter's first call to follow Jesus, Luke chapter five, not only does he recommission Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, he also gives Peter a powerful sense of destiny. John, the writer, makes clear when Jesus talks about Peter stretching out his hands, he's talking about Peter's death. History records he was probably crucified like Jesus around about 30 years later. How is that going to be encouraging for Peter? Well, here is kind of what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, even though you failed in the past, you are going to be faithful to your call in the future. Peter you said to me I'm going to die for you Jesus and at the first hurdle you bottled it you failed now here is my promise to you in the future you will not fail you are going to live up to your name which means the rock all the adventure you're going to go on is going to take you to some dark places Peter but be assured I'll be with you in the darkness and I have overcome the darkness I'm back from the dead so follow me that's kind of what Jesus is saying and in the same way as I bring my inner storm to Jesus and allow him to set me free and change my life, I also inherit the promise of a future. And in God's great plan, that future is going to be amazing. And because Jesus has beaten even death, it means I can still have confidence, even in the face of the worst that life can throw at me. Let me give you another illustration here. I've recently read the biography of a guy called John Newton. Uh, Newton lived in the 1700s, and by his own admission was a really horrible man. He was a prolific slave trader. Uh, He admitted to indulging in every kind of vice imaginable, including witchcraft, and those around him were repulsed by the way that he lived his life. Well, to cut a long story short, this prolific and thoroughly depraved slave trader ended up encountering Jesus through reading the Bible other books and prayer and it totally changed his life. In 1772 he wrote the words to the hymn Amazing Grace about how Jesus' grace had reached him and changed his life. He actually wrote it for a sermon he was giving in a little English village in Buckinghamshire so the people in the congregation would better remember the talk. Here's the interesting thing, after the talk no one remembered it No one picked up on it, no one started singing the song, no one remembered a word of the sermon. I know only too well how he felt. Over 30 years later, when Newton died, of the 52 hymn books in circulation in the UK at the time, not a single one of them contained Amazing Grace. He had no idea how big it would become. Today, over 250 years later, there are now over 6,600 recordings of it. It was an anthem for the civil rights movement made number one in the UK charts. It's estimated that it is sung over 10 million times every year and is the most recorded song in human history. It's a wonderful metaphor for the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus said it starts like a little seed that grows into a great tree. And just like an anecdote from a village sermon in England can end up being known the world over So Jesus's kingdom slowly and steadily grows. It starts with a few broken and fearful disciples like Peter, but today over two billion people profess his name. And as life after life after life gets changed by Jesus, slowly the darkness of our world gets filled with light. Bible teacher Tom Wright puts it like this, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters that the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice and love have won. Easter means in a world where injustice, violence and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things and we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. This is the story into which we are invited. You know, London is often described as a collection of villages. And I can often think in my little corner of London, in my village, what difference does my contribution make? The promise of Jesus is an invitation into a much greater story. My efforts, small as they may seem, just like John Newton's, can end up changing the world. Jesus built his church on the rock, Peter but it is very important that we remember that he is still building his church with rocks today, those who follow him, you and I. And yes, he wants to change our lives and identities. The other side of the storm, as I lay myself down, yes, I can find his resurrection power, but he also wants to give us a new sense of call. You know, I I can't wait for the moment when we're back together in person, worshipping God together. I think we need a national hug day at the end of all this. But Jesus promises something even better. The moment when death is finally dealt with once and for all. When evil is done away with forever. And when people from every tribe and tongue and people and language are gathered before God, shouting his praises and rejoicing at his ultimate triumph. This is our hope and is guaranteed by Easter Sunday. Jesus wants to have breakfast with us but he doesn't want to settle for a shallow relationship. We can find his resurrection life the other side of Good Friday, the other side of the storm, and he calls us to bring our brokenness to him that he might change us. But then he wants to catch us up into a much better story. He wants to reassure us we have a future and our efforts, small as they are, can be involved in redeeming all of creation. I'd like to pray for us now to that end. It might be you think, I'd love to know Jesus personally. I'd love to meet him like John Newton met him. I'd love to pray that for you. But you also might have questions of faith. You might want to talk, and I'd encourage you to get in touch with us. Contact details are in the notes section on the right of the screen. You can email hello at Christchurchlondon.org, and myself or one of the team would love to talk, answer any questions you've got. It may be you know I need to deal with my inner storm. I'd love to pray for you too, but there is also time to sign up for the STEPS course. Don't miss out on the opportunity. But I also want to pray in this moment that not only do we know the resurrection life and power of God, but that we get a fresh sense of call that our efforts in our world, broken as it is right now, can be involved in God's great story. I'm going to close my eyes now as I pray as a way of blocking out all other distractions. You might want to do the same. Let's invite God to meet with us right now. So Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to come and reveal Jesus again to each of us. May we meet to you this Easter Sunday again and know that before we get to anything else, you just want to have breakfast, you want to do relationship with us. We want to confess our inner storm. My fears, my insecurities, my selfishness, my pride, I bring it to you. And as I lay self down, may I taste afresh. May each of us know your resurrection life the other side. And I also want to pray for everyone watching this that we would know this day that this is not the end of the story, that we have a future, that there is a call for each and every one of us and it's guaranteed because Jesus is risen. Come Holy Spirit, may we meet you this day. May we know your presence in our homes, but may it spill out from our hopes and our lives to our needy world right now. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for the glory of his kingdom. Amen. Uh, Thanks again so much for being with us. I really want to encourage you, get in touch if you'd like prayer, if you've got questions of faith, to sign up for the STEPS course. Maybe I'll see you there. If not, we'll see you at Online Church very soon. Have a very happy Easter Sunday. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to Christchurchlondon.org.